Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host for this week, Len Hafer, and I am joined by PC Games and senior news writer Ian Boudreaux. Hello and good evening. I don't know that everybody's going to be listening to this in the evening, so I don't know why I said hello and good evening. That's just always been what Rob has said, is he always starts with good evening, so I'm just kind of following. Troy probably started it, but uh, yeah, it's not really evening for me either, so... Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about a very long-awaited sequel today, uh, Age of Empires IV uh, from Relic. It is the first mainline Age of Empires game since like 2005, I guess if you count Age of Empires Online, which was 2011, um, which I actually thought was pretty good. It was, it was kind of underrated because um, it had a lot of like mobile game type mechanics in it that I think kind of dragged down people's opinion of it. But uh had some cool yeah, I missed that one completely. Stuff. Yeah, I it's been so for me. Yeah, it's been since I think I touched my toe in Age of Empires three. But really, it's been the definitive <laughs> editions that, that like I've gotten back into after. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really loving the original ones in college. Age of Empires and Age of Empires two. Yeah. Heavy in rotation. Yeah, I played a ton of the first two uh, back in the day. Um, and they've actually been like releasing new expansions for Age of Empires two and three, like recently, which is yeah. which it's is pretty interesting. New, yeah. new uh, yeah, factions coming out up through this year, I think. But, yeah, um, so amazing. But yeah, Age of Empires four. Um, Ian, what is it? <laughs> so, actually, this is kind of an easy one, right? Yeah, uh, uh-huh. Age of Empires four is a historical themed real-time strategy game uh, which features some of the um, like absolute it's kind of the uh, the original format for real-time strategy where you're you're simultaneously managing an economy and building a town whilst also uh, recruiting uh, an army to go out and knock down whatever it is your opponent's doing I think right. that's about it yeah, it's it's super, super old school, um, which ended up being kind of one of my main criticisms of it. Like, it, it almost feels like this is this is just like, what if somebody made Age of Empires 2 today? Um, it's the same time period. It's the Middle Ages. You still have that that 200 population cap, which is probably my least favorite thing about it. It's like we're we've got Total War games where like one unit of troops has that many guys in it. I think you can you can crank that up yeah. a little bit. Um, okay, so let, let's just address this really yeah. quick because I, I we, we both re, we both reviewed the game and right. uh, I saw I saw this come up on Reddit a couple times uh, that I think we both mentioned Total War as a point right. of comparison in the review and and people kind of dinged us for that saying oh well you know the reviewers don't really know what they're doing and talking about these are different kinds of games and yeah I know but <laughs> like when you start off with like recreating the Battle of Hastings right and no side can have more than 200. Yeah, it, it's uh, silly. It, it looks on it. It looked yeah, like it a, looks LARP, a little dainty, right? Like, yeah, it looked like yeah. a LARP group reenacting the Battle of Hastings. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it does. It's very much like, yeah, your, your Rev War uh, reenactment group meeting in the uh, on the village green or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, but that's not that's not necessarily bad. But like I think you mentioned, too, like it really is. It, it it does feel dated and that that that's kind of cool in a lot of ways but in terms of like recreating what a historical battle might have looked like i mean there's just 
no way that it can really make that claim anymore. Not after 16 years worth of total games. Right. right. And like, that's not, that's not the only reason it exists. I mean, spoiler alert, I, I actually like the game. I'm going to talk a lot about my criticisms of it here because when people say, oh, you're spending too much time on criticism, it's like, well, that's, that's part of my job is I'm supposed to tell the devs which parts yeah. of it I think can be improved upon. So when the next one comes out, you know, it's a better game yeah. for all of us. That's that's literally what I do, uh, you know, for work. Yeah. Um, and, and and I liked it, too. I think we both yeah. ended up at the same number is, in fact, I think we both gave it eights. So. Right. Uh, yeah. IGN's yeah. on a 10 point scale now. It might have been like a high seven for me under the old hundred point scale. Uh, but yeah, an eight is sure. about right. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. I feel like a very similar thing happened to Age of Empires as what happened to Civilization for me, because when I was playing Age of Empires one and two back when they originally came out, there was no such thing as total war. So if I wanted to play a game where I'm reenacting giant battles with tons of little like digital toy soldiers on my computer screen, those were the, those were the games you went to. That was like the best thing you had available. And then I think when Total War came out, that supplanted most of what I had been going to Age of Empires for because it's bigger battles. It's more like actually realistic, you know, troop numbers. Uh, by the time they got around to a, uh, Napoleon, once again, we're talking about comically small reenactments of these, <laughs> these battles that had tens yeah, of thousands right. of soldiers. Uh, so they eventually butted up against the technological limitations as well. Um, but yeah, very much in a similar way that I feel like like Europa Universalis uh, took over most of what I was getting out of Civ. I think Total War took over most of what I was getting out of Age of Empires. That being said, uh, if you like classic, you know, 90s style, early 2000s style RTSs, this is a pretty damn good one, I, I think. Uh, the more I've played... Multiplayer and skirmish. Uh, I played actually with some friends. Um, it's actually really kind of growing on me. Yes, and I think it. Well, two things. I, first off, there's there's two very different experiences with Age of Empires four, just in the same way that there was with StarCraft and StarCraft two. Right. There's the campaign, and that feels like one game, and then and you you learn how to play that that version of. And then when you really want to get serious, yeah, you go to skirmish and multiplayer and that requires a whole different set of skills. And I think, you know, I had to learn to, well, for me, it was Starcraft two where I decided, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to try to be competitive. Uh, Same for me. Play this yep. multiplayer. Yeah. And, and learn how to get on the ladder and actually do, you know, okay. Um, and so that's where that, you know, heavy econ play and, and you know, really getting into the macro of it, yeah. jumping back and forth between your front line and everything. So, and you can, you can a hundred percent do that with age of empires four too. And it felt, I could feel my age <laughs> uh, <laughs> where, where because you, yeah, like. Where did you get ahead. to it? Where did you get to in Starcraft two? I'm just curious. Oh, ladder wise. Yeah. I was never that great. I think like oh, I okay. was uh high, high silver, maybe. I mean, nothing. 
Yeah, see, I got I got in I got into gold in beta, but that was before they shifted the metals. So gold in beta was what like platinum is now. So yeah, that's like it's way, not, I think it's way easier. Not really impressive at all, but that's like my one claim to RTS fame is that I hit gold in the StarCraft II ladder beta. <laughs> that's well, that's that was I, the peak of my my RTS skill. So yeah. But, and see, the thing is, I mean, I remember back then, too, we were talking about how, well, you get to be about, you know, 26, 27. Uh, that's time to retire. Because <laughs> you're not. Yeah. You're not yeah. have the APM to uh, keep up with these uh, young guns on the uh, on, on multiplayer. So. Um, so that that definitely came to bite me at age 40 plus. Right. Like <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, you know, get real sweaty about my economy and everything yeah um, well so. it's yeah the, the macro game is just so much more complicated too especially if you're playing as like a faction like the Rus, where it's like you've gotta okay you've gotta get your your cabins down but they can't be by the forest you're mining wood from because they need trees by them or, the, or you're not gonna generate as much gold also you have a mechanic where you have to be continually hunting deer to like level up this bounty thing in addition to all the build order stuff you have to be doing at the beginning of the game, like compared to StarCraft 2, where I have the like I have the Terran opening down, I can do it from muscle memory. Like yes. at, at any given time, like some of these openings for some of these factions are just insanely micro heavy. It is. And it, I mean, I never got to the point during the review period of like feeling like I had one opening you know, cold because I feel like those are all going to develop. Yeah. I'm just first, now starting you know, to get there. Months, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, do we have, I don't know if this is uh still, I, I wondered if like in the week since the week since launch, uh -huh. has there been a dominant strategy emerging for any of the factions? Or is that happening? Is there a, a meta play? I'm not following a lot of the like tournament stuff. I've watched a lot of videos uh, from people who know more that like know the nitty gritty build order stuff better than I do. So I've learned stuff like, oh, you're not supposed to surround your town center with houses because you're going to put farms there so that you don't need to build an extra drop off point for wheat unless you're playing as the English, in which case you need all of your farms built around mills so you don't have to do that like i'm 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 learning little by little but there's a lot to learn and um particularly they're, yeah, they're, yeah some of the unorthodox factions the number of things you have to think about within like the first 30 seconds of a match just feels like i'm probably never going to be good at this game <laughs> yeah that's not how i feel about it too yeah but it, it um, did feel pleasantly though it did feel like going back to that where there was this really demanding econ half of yeah. the game it's equally as important and they, they there's some great tools i think that they've included in this um entry uh well the uh the uh, art of war stuff has been in the definitive editions too but that's like really nice to see a game kind of just um kind of acknowledge the fact that okay the campaign's the campaign and you're going to learn some stuff there but that's mainly for the campaign right, when you right. want to go into multiplayer jump into this art of war stuff. Here's how many peasants that you want to have, uh, you know, how many workers you want out at such and such a timing. Uh, here's how many farms you need to build. Here's so, so really kind of uh, highlighting that I think was real. Uh, th that was, it was cool to see because it was stuff that I had to look up elsewhere, like outside the game on YouTube. 
things when I wanted to learn for, you know, say, StarCraft. Yeah, the I think accessibility is definitely a huge um, success for uh, for age four in terms of uh, the the way that the ways that it can teach new players the basics. Um, the interface, I think, is just great all around. Um, they don't teach you all of the hotkeys, but some of the hotkeys they have are, are extremely helpful. Like you can just there's a hotkey for like select all villagers and then you can press one more button to make them run to safety and then you can press one additional button and they'll remember what their job is and go back and do it which like imagine if you had that in age of empires 2 uh it's gonna be life-changing uh, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh so th at the same time there's like some weird stuff that i feel like was never explained to me um that i had to find out much later like the fact that um like the the outpost watchtowers, uh, you can either garrison people in them to shoot arrows or mount a siege weapon on it. Those are mutually exclusive, and I don't think yeah. it ever explains that to you. Like I had to learn that no, from a I YouTube don't think video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or um, um, yeah, even like the Holy Roman Empire. The fact that they're too. Uh, upgrades for their their melee or their men at arms or whatever are mutually exclusive. Like I don't think it ever tells you that. So um, you the, I, like you can go in and look at each tech tree while you're in the menus. But uh -huh. Like yeah, it's not clear from playing the game that that's how it works. Right. So like some of that stuff, yeah, I think it's like you know carried over, you know, from just to make the in-game UI familiar if you've played the games before. Um, but yeah, like the tech trees aren't explicit or, 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 or laid out in a clear way while you're in the game. So you'd say, you can't really compare those things unless you already know about them from the encyclopedia or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Game option. Is. So or, yeah. Yeah. Even how like knights and lancers, like they have that, like a stronger initial charge attack and then it becomes weaker if you just leave them in combat. Like, I didn't know. I, I didn't realize that. I, I think maybe the French campaign tells you about it if you play through the campaigns uh, before yeah. you go into multiplayer. But um, yeah, so there's like there's there's some stuff that I think is really cool in terms of teaching tools, but there's also a lot of stuff that I still feel like was not explained well enough. Um, well, and, then, and, <laughs> and this is why we have content creators. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, so um, we'll be able to, so, but it, it does seem like, I mean, it does seem like the kind of game that will um, live in that kind of, um, you know, there's going to be age YouTubers. There already oh, are. for but, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, we're going to be learning more about the game from people who are devoting that kind of time to it. So. Right. Right. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah. Uh, what should we talk about? I mean, do we well, want to talk about the campaigns or should we talk about the, uh, the multiplayer side? I do feel like they're, they're quite different experiences Yeah. I, again. And I'm, I'm, I like them both, but I feel like they're, they're, they're different in the way they were in 1997 or whatever. Yeah. I was going to go to the campaigns next, um, actually, uh, which it's pretty expansive. Like it's four full, like full fledged single player campaigns, which you don't see a lot anymore. This is one of the, one of the places where the the fact that they're kind of mimicking old school RTS has actually made me really happy because when I was a kid I I would usually just buy RTSs for the campaign and then to like 
screw yeah. around in the map editor. I didn't really play online that much. Uh, uh, that's exactly what I did too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which by the way, no map editor relic says it's coming. I hope, I hope soon. Um, uh, yeah. What did you think overall of the, the campaign offerings that we got with age four? I think, okay. So in the way that they're presented, you have, um, England up first with the Norman campaign, um, right. that starts off with Hastings. Um, and, and that goes right into the hundred years war French campaign. And I was getting a little like I, at that point, so I was doing this first. I was kind of feeling like, ah, geez, maybe this really just should have been another age of empires Two release. Yeah. Maybe it is. Uh huh. Um, those were like, they're, they're fine, but they really didn't show off what age of empires four is doing differently. I right. I think um, it, it, I was getting a little bored, frankly, by the time. And then the French campaign actually ramps the difficulty up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I think I just, I, I, I bailed on that for a while and, um, and jumped into the Rus campaign or the Mongol campaign actually. And then I was right back in. Oh yeah. The Mongols are a lot of fun. The Mongols are great. Um, they're conceptually my favorite faction. I'm still not, super good with them in multiplayer yet again just because they have so much to manage um but yeah it it, it kind of feels like england is definitely the training wheels faction uh yeah. i think that's why their campaign is 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 easier it's it's not that they're like the weakest but they're the most forgiving <laughs> if you screw up they are like, yeah oh you're out of food well you can build farms really cheaply and your farms are really good um, if you're getting raided in the early game, uh, your town center is twice as powerful. And uh, and uh, anytime someone's in the radius of a defensive building, they get an attack bonus. Like it's it's sort of like the faction that's it's designed for. I'm not good at Age of Empires. Just ease me in. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great for turtling like that's yeah, uh, And that's what I love to. That was my default mode before I got into multiplayer at all was. Yeah. I just want to build my the biggest, meanest base I can. And if oh, you want yeah. to do that, then yeah, England's wonderful for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the those first two campaigns, and this is kind of why I wish we had Rob on here, because if you remember, he was talking in the uh in the the 3MA, like the the panelist Discord about going through these campaigns, like, oh yeah, someone finally made uh, a campaign just for me, somebody who loves medieval sieges. And then by the time his review <laughs> finally came out, he was like, yeah, um, even I can get tired of sieges, apparently, <laughs> like, right. especially the Norman campaign. I think like the last six missions are all castle it's all, siege. Yeah. And then you jump straight into more sieges when yeah. you start up the French campaign. Yeah. Like the French so, campaign yeah. had some interesting twists. Like there's that tournament uh, that was- level that is kind of awkward, but but at least it's a change of pace. Um, I came into the three MA discord when I was on that mission because I was desperate because I could not figure out how to do it. And I felt real dumb because I mean, it was clearly a tutorial mission that's just there to show you the kind of rock, paper, scissors dynamics between the different unit types. And no matter who I picked, I'd wind up getting the, uh, I'd I'd get, I'd get beat in the, the uh, tournament. And until I, I can't remember who I wound up taking into the, I, I, anyway, I played the mission over, had no problem with it. It was fine. So there's, there, there's a weird, um, I don't know. I found this 
a couple of times, a couple of different exchanges played out completely differently without, I, I wasn't clear what had gone, what starting conditions or preconditions had changed. Uh, it seemed like they should have, like in, in several cases, should have played out the same way, but you'd get different results. So there's there's some random chance in, or at least the feeling of it. In a couple yeah. Of these, uh, so what I found to be a cheat code, basically, in both campaign and multiplayer is just line formation. I forget what the hotkey for it is, but usually yes. if I put yeah. my guys in line formation, I win because... <laughs> the way the combat works in this game, if you get surrounded or even flanked, you're kind of screwed. So just having a longer line <laughs> oftentimes will allow you to just win a battle that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I, that, that does cause some frustration I, just because of the way that like facing works, I guess. Yeah. Or, like unit, because like if you don't have like unit to unit contact with like the enemy, then whoever is not, on that that front rank will try to run around and find a gap yeah and uh, it really looks hilarious when when you see this happen like if you have a, a massed formation of cavalry or something like that and they they hit a small group of maybe five or six um enemy infantry or something that the you'll have a surround uh, and then everybody else will will ride around in circles around that like that yeah huddle uh -huh. that scrum so we're back I, I, and forth along a big line. I kind of hate the unit AI in this game. Like it requires so much babysitting to get it to do what you want, because it seems like they will fanatically go after whatever is the closest hostile target that they can find and ignore everything else. So, yeah, yeah like they you do said, irrespective of type too. So right. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. So you can Unless have like, explicitly told the standstill. You could have like one spearman and like a line of archers behind them. And as long as the spearman is closer, all of your cavalry will try to make a circle around that one spearman and ignore the archers. Um, yeah, so. And like you'll get stuff where like you'll just randomly find a group of guys that are like trying to torch a barracks because there's no enemy troops that are close enough to their like detection range that they could like break off and join the battle without them without you telling them to so like when you're assaulting a base you really have to herd the cats and make sure they're all like nope no that archery range not important right now please come come kill the town yeah. center come on come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, um yeah it is equal opportunity though because like it, it's just the like it's not that the ai the game ai is bad right it's just that the unit behavior is just like it's weird. It it it's got kind of a short attention span, but it's very intense about whatever it is that it's focused on, and that has to be within a certain range. So you can abuse it pretty badly. Like in right. one of the Mongol missions, I think it's one of the first ones uh, where you're Subatai, and you've got a you're you're ambushing a um, a group of Russian soldiers in a river, at a river crossing. <clears throat> vastly outnumbered, but you've got the uh, horse archers. Right. And uh, Subutai is also, uh, so, but I, I got, I screwed up the first, my first attempt at the mission and was down to the general and three, I think I had three horse archers left, but I was able to just group them up and then move them kind of close to everybody. Like if I, if I 
just inched Subutai close enough to their uh, formations of spears, uh, five or six of them would would pursue. And the great thing about Mongol horse archers is that they can continuously fire without standing still. Like while they're on the move. Oh yeah, they it's can fire. great. It's great. So you can just bait out a couple dudes and ride around. If you, as long as you're microwing, they won't have a chance to hurt you. And I, I killed everybody else on the map just with Subutai. So oh yeah, um, you, you and can do some because they'll yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of open to abuse. Yeah, you can do some wild stuff against the AI with horse archers. Um, I kind of love it. Uh, and anytime yeah, I like fun. take out a formation of French knights because they just can't catch up to me. <laughs> Like that's, just, that's always a good feeling. Yeah. Um, I mean, pay hey, points for historical accuracy on that yeah. one too, I guess. Like that's pretty much how that worked. Yeah. Up until firearms, uh, horse archers were just the meta. That was like the best way that you could field it. an individual yeah. on the battlefield. Um, yeah. So, um, and they've got horse archers pay up. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, ironically enough, although I enjoyed a lot of the Mongol campaign, it does actually end with like two or three siege missions. <laughs> it always yeah. it always comes back to a siege. Um, but I really liked. Yeah, I liked the Mongols and I le- I liked the rise of Moscow because it's like you're staying kind of on this one map that sort of evolves from mission to mission. Yeah. It almost felt a little bit like a city builder, except it doesn't exactly carry forward like your exact building placements and stuff like that. Uh, as far as I could tell. Um, yeah. There's some great moments in that campaign. I liked the one where uh, you're Peter of Moscow and you kind of go out, you've decided to stop paying the golden horde. Right. They're coming to uh, punish you. And so there's this kind of phased um, defense where you start uh, defending two river crossings. And um, meanwhile, the villagers are behind you trying to recruit, uh, you know, more fighters and uh, you kind of fall back to this fortified hilltop and then finally back to the uh, banks of the River Don behind you. It's just it's a, and it's happening in um, kind of the dusk as the sun's going down and, and glittering across the rivers. Um, I, and I think you mentioned in, in your review, too, like th- these aren't cutting edge graphics by any ma- means. No, but they're nice. Like, I think they're pretty nice. Like they look OK. And there, that I think that mission in particular really struck me just was lovely looking. I think the I, I think the art style definitely holds up um, some of the textures yeah. and like environment, like trees and stuff. It just I think the exact term I used is there's nothing in Age of Empires for graphics or gameplay wise that couldn't have existed 10 years ago. Like if we had a hypothetical Age of Empires for that came out in 2000, you know, 11 instead of 2021. And it looked like this. I don't think anyone would be surprised. Like it's, it's not, it's not even on exactly right. Yeah. Cranked up settings on my, you know, GTX 27 or RTX 2070 that I paid way too much for. Like it doesn't look (laughs) that, that impressive uh, graphically, but I do like, I do like the style of it for the most part. Um, I wasn't like, yeah. I'm still not a huge fan of like the like the little yellow ghosts that build your buildings and stuff, but I've kind of I don't started, like those. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the, the bonfires that show up over like a, yeah. a, a, like a siege weapon that's engaged or a uh, emplacement that's engaged or something. Yeah. Those kind of look a little bad, but I don't really um, notice those yeah. anymore, but yeah. Uh, but I mean, overall I'd say, yeah, the kind of a, 
painterly style that's all right. Um, but yeah, th there's another thing that bugs me is like when buildings crumble, uh, it looks kind of chintzy, I guess. Like yeah. the like low poly chunks kind of fall. But again, it's a minor thing. But right. Um, but but art style, I think, does carry it a long way. And in that mission, uh, the rise of Moscow, I thought things kind of really worked. It was like this nice yeah. um, sunset. And yeah, that, everything was so that, yeah, kind of exciting. And that's exactly what I wanted out of a single player RTS campaign. Definitely. And the, 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 the other interesting thing is you kind of unlock these like mini historical documentaries as you go along, which I like I used to watch a lot of those, especially when I was like a yeah. kid, like back when History Channel was actually the History Channel and it wasn't like <laughs> the aliens and Hitler channel, which is <laughs> right. <laughs> like um, there's no way prehistoric people could have built anything large. Yeah, it must have been uh -huh. yeah. right. Um, um, yeah, those which, videos are so good. Yeah, they're really good, I thought. Yeah, I will. I was like not quite f feeling it as much on like the Norman campaign because it just felt like kind of very familiar sort of English countryside and, and like stuff I had already, I already knew from, you know, history class in like high school and college. But then when you get to like the Mongol ones where they're like showing you how to make a, like a, a Mongol composite bow out of like sinews that are like yeah. glued together with fish bladders and stuff. I was like, this is some good, this is some good shit. Um, yeah. Or that they, they had uh, some, some performers out on the step, like playing Mongol war drums. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, I, I, just, just great stuff. Yeah. It's like very, very highly produced. Like they've got these like beautiful drone shots and they'll like add augmented reality, like soldiers into them. So you can kind of see like exactly where battles were taking place and stuff. And it might be like, Oh, there's a bank there now, which is kind of funny. Sure. Um, yeah, like or a basketball court in modern yeah. day York or something yeah, like that. Uh, where, and it just shows these wireframe like ghosts of soldiers. Like I thought that was pretty neat. So yeah, I was I mean, I think like this has Microsoft money behind it. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised at like high production value video, but I don't know. This just seemed like above and beyond. And uh I was real impressed. And I thought that like we mentioned before, it's hard to be impressed by the battles like it doesn't look the way that it does in the box mm, art right like very rarely do you have like you know big huge you know uh formations of soldiers kind of preparing for this clash you know uh yeah on the on big battlefields but so you know the game's something different it's an rts you know punch out and uh but where it does kind of fill the gap in um was with this video content that I thought was, you know, like you said, it's just so well produced and you, you unlock it throughout the campaign and there's optional ones that you can kind of look at at your leisure. Uh, those were a treat. I, yeah. I really liked those a lot. Yeah. And I, I don't remember if it was, I've read so many reviews. I don't remember if it was you who mentioned this, but one of the reviews I mentioned was talking about how refreshing it was to just have a campaign that's kind of narrated from like this distant third person perspective, instead of having what Age of Empires has kind of had in the past where I mean, Age of Empires three was basically the Da Vinci code, which was its own kind of weirdness. <laughs> but like before that, it was always like a high school theater uh, actor doing their rendition of like a famous historical person saying right. something really <laughs> melodramatic. 
<laughs> like that was yeah. that was how the campaign was presented. Um, I'm not well, saying that the actual voice actor was a high school theater actor, but it was that sort of a portrayal like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Henry V, you know, and I'm here to fight the French like that. Yeah, it was it was that sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there was like a, a, a cable access, community cable access kind of <laughs> William Wallace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think that's always been a a weird thing for Age of Empires. Um and doing this the the video stuff that they did for this, I think was a good way to solve it. Like it's never been um like a history game, really. Like it's always been kind of like Warcraft dressed up in mm-hmm. Right. Real world history. So it it is a game that's a that's more about being an RTS game than it is about any of these civilizations. So like, you know, and to the extent that they're that they appear in the game at all, these civilizations are, you know, distinguished by mechanics that serve to like they have to be balanced. So, you know, it's kind of a gimmick, which is and that's this isn't a criticism so much, it's just a reality of like making a game like this. So um like for instance, you know, one of the big mechanics in Age of Empires is, you know, teching up and going through, you know, from the from the Dark Age up through the Castle Age, and you know, doing this in the course of, like, what's the time scale of one match? Like, what are we simulating here? Like, what's happening? Yeah. How many years are going by? Yeah. And and what's it? Like, it's never been clear. Like, what, you know, that it, anyway. It's 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 a tough it's a square peg round hole situation where like this just doesn't lend itself to historical simulation at all. Um, and that's okay. But, and, and so I guess in doing something that's not a complete reinvention of what age of empires is, I I think doing it, adding this kind of documentary content really uh, helps that aspect of it a lot. Yeah. And that's, I think, that gets back to why I kind of drifted away from Age of Empires and Civilization, because, yeah, it's it's a history themed RTS the same way that Civ is like a history themed board game, as opposed to like Total War and like the Paradox Grand Strategy games, which are much more trying to simulate history um, yeah. more directly, which which is ultimately what I I was I ended up being more interested in. But um Let's talk about the multiplayer a little bit, because uh, while it is strikingly similar to Age of Empires 2 in a lot of ways, I think the way they've kind of broken out of the mold is that every faction um, is is much more different from each other than any of the ones in, in Age 2 were. Um, some of them feel pretty samey. I feel like the English and the French are almost interchangeable. It's just one of them has better cavalry and like one of them has better defensive structures and then they each get a special ranged unit and those two special ranged units are slightly different from each other in their their battlefield role um but yeah it feels like everybody has like two or three or four special things at least uh like the english where uh their farms are really cheap and building them near a mill um makes their farms better. Eventually they can research a technology where they get gold from farms. And so they're like the farm masters. <laughs> um, yeah. The French get this. You, yeah. Right. Well, like you said, I think the, the French are kind of cavalry focused. Right. Yeah. Um, the French, I feel like have yeah. the least, the least interesting macro mechanics. Like they're not really 
they're they're about <laughs> as vanilla as it gets i think when yeah. it, it, they say the english England are the starters are both yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're very much like your age of empires too starting factions right which is good i think it's good that like that is there because it's okay well if you wanted to play age of empires the way you remembered it here it is um but yeah then then we we mentioned the mongols uh mm-hmm. their deal is that they don't have population buildings right um so you don't have to build houses for them and then all i think most yeah most of their uh key structures aside from like the the structure for for mining ore mm-hmm. uh all of them you can you can pack them up and move them around the map wherever you want. Right. And and in fact you have to because once you exhaust a stone deposit you basically yeah. have to move all of your buildings to the next stone deposit. Um so it's yeah, it's like you're using up an area and moving on. Um it's not quite as like I was thinking that they would be more like oh, we can have our base be moving all the time. You can't really do that because if you're not settled down you're not really producing so it's more like you know you could get up and I move wondered, if you get attacked but yeah. so does this now you've played more multiplayer and skirmish than i have i think since uh since it came out yeah i've played a fair bit but i wondered yeah. about like have you played mongols and does this does that actually i always wondered if because it obviously it plays into the campaign because they make missions so that it does right but do you ever wind up like like you said i mean i guess to move stone deposits to, to find a new stone deposit yeah you've got to move but yeah so how that's often do you actually wind up using that like mobile building mechanic in multiplayer that's imagine the, it's not that much that's the problem is because like in multiplayer you do have to move when you when you run out of stone like you can't really you have to you do have to kind of stay on the move in that sense. Um, the, the problem is that like a good player, if you're playing against a good player, they will scout the, the stone deposits yeah. on your on your side of the map and they'll kind of camp them to stop you from setting up a new base there. Uh, so you have to have a pretty big army every time you want to move just so and then like oh, well, they killed my scout that was next to this stone over here, so that's where their base is going to be. Um, it's it's very hard to, like, hide your base, which is something that I've tried to do in multiplayer just to be kind of cheeky. I don't really know if that's, like, a viable strategy. I guess if you're being attacked by a much larger force, you could, like, pick up and, like, leave a rear guard and go somewhere else. Um, but in general, the extent of that nomad mechanic is just you use up a spot and then you go to the next stone node. And that, that seems to sort of just be, it's, it's not so much a, I'm an agile, you know, Oh, I, this, this area didn't work out. I'm going to go to this next area. It's more like you're just going to be kind of making a slow circle around the map as the match progresses. Um, yeah. Which I guess is I mean, kind of nice. Mo- Cause you don't, you don't have to defend like your old town center you're always kind of concentrated around wherever it is you're mining stone. Um, but uh, yeah. I could see it being like, yeah, maybe, and maybe in, you know, eight player scenarios uh, that becomes more important or differently important. I, I, I can see it. I, I'm excited to find out what weird tricks people wind up finding out for, I mean, not just the Mongols, but, but all the other 
kind of gimmicks that the other um, civilizations have too, because some of these are um, it's just, there's, like you said, there, there's three or four different things about each one. Yeah. And so that the number of combinations and things that you can possibly do, I know we're going to be finding out about like just wacky cheese plays and, and gimmick uh, maneuvers uh, for years to come. Cause that's yeah, like yeah. All those pieces are here. I mean, there's, there's an, like just so many more things like just variables um, at play than there were in Starcraft too. Yeah. Or, it's, um, it's command and conquer. Yeah. The mental overhead just feels like significantly higher than Starcraft two. Again, I mentioned the ruse, but they're specifically the ruse. I don't think I've played a single skirmish or multiplayer match with them that I did not forget to do one of their mechanics. Yeah, because I always forget to. Yeah. To, to, to get a you good have to be ready to start hunting yeah right away and that like kind of mind erases everything else so yeah there's a bunch of things to bear in mind right when you start off yeah to, 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 to get a good opening is the ruse you have to in addition to balancing your villagers correctly and remembering to build houses which everyone has to do you have to get a hunting cabin down by a forest that is not the forest you're harvesting wood from because it generates gold based on how many trees are near it. You have to get a wooden fortress down next to your lumber camp or else your lumber camp is going to be underperforming. And then you have to remember all like the early game research stuff like you got to get wheelbarrows or else you're going to fall behind because your villagers can't care. It's like it's so many yeah. things to remember. While you're also sending scouts out to find more deer to hunt to get your bounty modifier up, which requires a ton of micro and is pulling your attention away from all of the like, I feel like the roost might actually be too much like they could actually do with maybe one less thing I have to worry about <laughs> at the yeah. very beginning of the well, match. Yeah, because no, and no matter who you're playing as, I mean, I think the game really is about uh a remembering all the things that you're supposed to remember in uh -huh. you know, the civilization that you're playing, but also figuring out who you're playing against, what they're likely to do. And I think in this game, because there are so many things to keep, like so many plates to be spinning at a time, uh, you're scouting to find out, you know, where the locations resources are, but you're also trying to figure out what your opponent's doing and maybe hopefully which mistake they're making because they're probably making one. Yeah. I think it really is kind of set up so that like, sort of like officer candidate school, which I never went to, but I hear is kind of a bad time because they deliberately overload you. They give mm. you more things than you can actually do in 24 hours in a day. Uh, and so like the, the test is like, how do you prioritize your time? What are you doing? And I feel like that's what age of empires feels like to me uh, is like, well, there's too much for you to be doing as one person. So you need to be picking the ones that are going to be most effective. Uh, and hope that your opponent doesn't spot the one that you didn't uh, didn't cover. And maybe I'll have a better time in skirmish and multiplayer if I start thinking about it that way. Coming from competitive StarCraft 2, I feel like that game taught me like you just have to you just have to memorize it. You just have to memorize yeah. how to do everything perfectly or you're going to die. Um, and yeah, Age of Empires 3 or 4, maybe it's you can't memorize how to do everything. Nobody can actually do everything perfectly. So you just have to learn to prioritize better. And if I if I allowed myself to think of it that way, instead of being an obsessive perfectionist, uh, I probably would have failed that officer candidate school <laughs> assignment for the same reason. Uh, then maybe I'll I'll 
all actually settle into a better rhythm with it. Um, I mean, I do end up forgetting something anyway. I just will like panic about it and like, oh, I didn't get enough deer for my bonus or, oh, I've been mining wood too slow because I forgot to build the building that makes my wood production go faster. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, um, I've, I need to I see. I have not yet internalized the go back to the job that you were doing button. Mm -hmm yet and so yeah. my mistake is always leaving villagers idle um they you know the, like once they get done with the job they uh they don't go on to do another one you have to you know so yeah. i've always got you know as soon as it hits the middle game i've got six or seven villagers who are just doing nothing. yeah so and that's why i i think playing as the english first is is smart because you can you can forget about more things as them than you can with anyone else. You can forget about defending yeah. your base for like the first five to ten minutes because your uh, network of castles thing will defend your base for you for the most part, unless someone's going for like right. a really aggressive early rush build. Um, and then like, oh, if, uh, I forgot that I was about to run out of sheep and now I don't have any food. You can throw up some farms really fast and they'll make almost as much food as you were making before. So... Yeah, uh, you've got some pretty quick corrective measures to yeah take as the English that are yeah. Whereas so, like the yeah. yeah the Rus, if you if all the deer on the map are already dead and you forgot, uh, uh, well that sucks Sorry. for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a couple factions we haven't talked about yet though. Um, I actually I really enjoy playing as the Chinese as well. Um, they yeah. have those imperial officials that will kind of go around collecting taxes, or you can just have them supervise a building and they'll make that building produce stuff faster. Um, but what's interesting about them is they have that dynasty mechanic where I didn't even realize until I was watching some videos about how to play the Chinese, but you can choose what dynasty you want to stay in. You don't have to advance through the dynasty, the dynasties, if you don't want to, um, you have to you have to build two landmarks to dynasty up, but you can you could just go straight to the Imperial Age and you'll still be in the Tang Dynasty or whatever. Like you, you that, and that's okay. like a, that's not necessarily hamstringing yourself. You probably don't want to stay in Tang because they're the only one that doesn't get a unique unit. But like there are people I've I've seen play in high level multiplayer matches who will like stay in. Uh, the song or the UN and they won't go to to Ming. Um, which and it'll just you know, go straight to Imperial. Yeah, or you can skip. Yeah, you can skip one of the ones in the middle if you don't like it. Yeah. Um, huh. and, and that's like a choice you have to make based on who you're fighting and, uh, you know, which landmarks you want. I usually end up getting all of them because I just feel like more landmarks is better. It's like Boris. they all have like some great benefit. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of what I've done, too, is just build as many landmarks as I possibly can. Um, yeah, but they're a lot of fun with their like their nest of bees rocket launcher thing. And they get like repeating, yes. repeating crossbows. They're like the, they're like the machine gun faction. <laughs> like if you just want to like throw yeah, a whole like bunch of range damage. Any like I guess that's what I mean, that's what uh, F.A. is going to be total war warhammer 3 but like that's kind of like what yeah. the dwarves are in every other rts game like the gunpowder invention yeah. kind of yeah. yeah yeah and they get like their late game man at arms palace guard thing they're not that strong offensively but they can hold the line while you blow the shit out of everybody with your 
<laughs> artillery yeah. and repeating crossbows. Um, yeah. Well, and that's often like that. So often that's what you need. I just like, I, I need to throw a formation at that attacking force just to buy myself a little bit of time. So yeah, the timing right. of it is, is key. So yeah. Having good defensive units. And that's exciting. Yeah. Then the other one I've played a fair bit of is the Abbasids, um, who they kind of, they have the one, they only have the one landmark that they kind of upgrade over time. And then it increases in power based on the, how many buildings are connected to it. So you'll see a lot of, uh, traditional, uh, Arab city planning styles that Im involve diagonal lines of houses reaching out to your expansion base, <laughs> which, which kind of looks funny, uh, towards the end of the game. Cause you have to maintain yeah. like a contiguous spider web city. Um, uh, but I, I like them a lot as well. Um, just cause like the, with the, the house of wisdom, you could kind of decide, do I want to focus on trade for this era or do I want to focus on military really early and uh, do some rushing and stuff like that? And uh, just the way that they kind of um, structure their civilization is ends up looking kind of interesting. Um, that's I think. I've really of, I, yeah, I've only I feel like I've only scratched the surface with the Delhi Sultanate. Yeah, they're um, the faction I've played the least. Yeah, yeah. I, I the what's what keeps drawing me back and what what makes me want to learn them more is that they get war elephants. Yeah, which are great. Um, so that's really cool to see. You know, you've got two variations on them. There's there's kind of a uh, traditional stompy elephant, and then a um, the one with the uh, the archer tower on the back, mm -hmm. which is also great. So a shooty or stompy elephant, <laughs> I think either kind is great. So um, yeah, Delhi uh, is, yeah, the, the, I don't feel like I really understand them yet. I know that like, so their, re their research is free. And then if you garrison scholars in a mosque, it'll speed up your research. But then for the longest time, I thought that all of the research buildings had to be in the radius of that mosque to benefit from the scholars in that mosque. And now, like, I still don't even I still don't understand how it works. Maybe someone in the comments can answer me. But now yeah, it I seems need to figure like that out, too, because all of you your put scholars in other mosques, buildings, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it that yeah. all of your connected mosques will benefit all of the research buildings that are connected in the same city complex? Because you need like. You need like five mosques to get to the point that you're actually researching faster than the other factions do. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's. Um, just I'm just <laughs> building lots of mosques and hoping that it's working. <laughs> That's really what I I'm mean, doing as Delhi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but so I think I mean, if I hope this is coming across, though, that like, you know, I think in past um, Age of Empires games, I. I I've never had the sense that my choice of civilization matters this much, like yeah, as much uh -huh. as it does here. These really do feel distinct from each other in a way that I don't think they have in the past. I'm yeah. not going to say that I have like an extensive knowledge of like age of empires three, for instance, or the, or the stuff that's come out for two in the past, you know, 16 years. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like they, they really do feel, um, even though they do share some stuff, uh, like some basic moves and, and units, um, these, the, the new factions are really distinct. 
and they do have, and th- those things that are distinct about them have like pretty important uh, implications for the way that you play and even just build your town. So yeah. yeah. Interesting for as yeah. much as like, I think we both kind of like criticized or maybe just dinged uh relic uh, for maybe playing it a little too traditional that, or more traditional maybe than we would have liked. There are, there is some pretty cool new ideas in this. I, I, I think they really deserve credit for that too. Like using the age of empires building blocks in weird ways. Yeah. Uh, to do, to, I think they pulled off something pretty, it's subtle, but it's good. Yeah. I, I think this is probably the best version of like a super classic nineties style RTS with a 200 population cap that you could probably yeah. do. Um, yeah, I think it'll it'll satisfy a lot of people who uh, are longtime Age of Empires fans and who um, have been really into like the definitive editions and have been playing those at like a competitive level, especially. Um, I'm, I'm seeing more and more the more I play the, the sort of competitive esports potential uh, to the point that I'm, I'm kind of interested to watch competitive events for this game um one cool thing is you can actually you can go in just from the client and like spectate uh any like ongoing games so you can find like somebody you know is a good player and just like jump in and spectate their game which i've learned a lot from doing um that is worth like mentioning too is that this is definitely set up for long-term support like you can see in the menus where all like you know uh, like follow on post-launch content's going to go where custom maps are going to go. Like the fact that you can spectate games right out the gate is great. Um, so yeah, I think they definitely want, uh, or, you know, hope for it to, to take that role on. And I hope that it does because it, you know, it, it supports like there's the, the theory crafting that's going to go on. If, you know, if this really takes off and uh, by all accounts it, it has um, at least initially, there's so much space for just kind of like comparing, you know, kind of water cooler discussions, I guess, uh, around the discord about like, you know, uh, unit comps that work really well together or timings, uh, uh, for different civilizations that have worked out really well. It's exciting to kind of see a game that's really kind of angling for this, but also robust enough to support that kind of well, it's the one of the benefits of like the sim- simpler kind of painterly art style is it's very easy to follow when you're watching someone yeah. else play like the, the units. Super readable. Yeah, the units stand out really strongly from the backgrounds. It's uh, fairly easy to tell them apart. And uh, yeah, you can I, I wish they would let you zoom out more and zoom in more. I feel like on both ends, the camera is too restrictive. Um, yeah which I know to some degree like that's intentional as far as they don't want you to be able to zoom out too far and get too much information. Um, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, or what, just what? be playing like, you know, a, a red and blue dots game, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I guess. Still, it, I, I did feel like I was butting up against the restrictions of the camera basically all the time. So, yeah, I agree. Right. Um. You know, if if this continues out on and and like and it seems like you know, based on Steam player numbers, and that's not even counting the fact that it's on Game Pass, that it's 
it's off to a pretty strong start. If they were to support this for like years and years and years going on, what other civs would you like to see? And like, what do you what do you feel like they're interesting things that they could do with them are? Gosh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, hmm. So we've got uh, as is we've got eight civilizations. We've got uh, the English, the French, Holy Roman Empire, the Mongols, the Delhi Sultanate, the uh, Abbasids, um, the Chinese. And the Rus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we could definitely see. Um, gosh, I'd love to see um, a maybe somebody uh, the, the um, uh, Iberian Peninsula. Like, where do you want to jump in there? Like the um, yeah, yeah, yeah Spain, you- like. Mid- middle East, middle ages spain or portugal right um, yeah or even the, the umayyads could be interesting too for another muslim faction in the uh iberian peninsula i, I feel like i'm 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 probably pretty safe uh suggesting a a, a viking or scandinavian faction i bet that'll be coming yeah i betcha yeah i betcha that'll be coming um <laughs> Which will be interesting because the uh, naval combat, which we didn't really talk much about, is is pretty well developed. It's just not all maps have water on them. Um, yeah, I did almost none of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so a Scandinavian faction would have to have some way to make them viable on land maps, which I know was like it was a big problem for like Harold Hardrada in Civ Six, where he's consistently been ranked one of the lowest tier competitive leaders. Uh, just because yeah. if, if he can't get to you by water, he's kind of screwed. Um, yeah, I'd love to see sub-Saharan Africa. I'd love to see like maybe the Mali Empire yeah. where they could do something with trade, like their traders can trade with like hostile town centers and they're like considered neutral units. So you can't attack them or something like that might be interesting. That would be neat. By the way, that um, is an interesting the, the trade mechanic is really yeah. cool, I thought uh, that that. That you know, we're we're talking about new says, but just as a, you know, uh, another neat thing that it does is that a, a way to generate gold is to send actual merchants on uh, trade routes to nearby centers. Uh, so you have to kind of you can attack or def- and must then defend, uh, you know, um, merchants. Uh, I, that's interesting because it can create you know. Uh, Places where battles or altercations can happen. That opens that up. Anyway, trade's a cool thing in Age of Empires. Yeah, it is. I I feel like some of the maps are too well set up to where you can just have a trade route that goes all along the backside of the map where your enemy can't get to it. I'd love to see more maps that encourage you to put trade routes in dangerous locations. Um, Yeah, it's... Have all those centers in the middle of the map, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although the map design for multiplayer, I found for the most part, has been really good. Um, I, I like the variety and, and they tend to be uh, they tend to all present certain strategic challenges, even though some of them are highly biased. Like if you try to play as the Mongols on the Altai map where it's just mountains in the oh. middle, like it's yeah. <laughs> it's not great because uh, everyone else can uh, build not- walls and you can't. And they need like a five inch long wall to cover their entire base. Um, so. Yeah, um, uh, that's it's neat, though. They're I think they're partially procedurally generated. Like, they are. They're yeah, kind uh-huh. of on a, on a theme. And there's like 17 like 
themes for maps and they scale. So yeah. you can pick a theme. It'll procedurally generate it for the size uh, game that you're playing, whether it's two players, eight, or anything. So I thought that was really neat. Yeah. And they even, if you played a lot of StarCraft, they even have like a dueling plateaus map where it's just like, yeah. this just feels like a StarCraft II tournament map, basically, where there's every a very safe main and a pretty yeah. safe uh, uh, first expansion and then everything else is up for grabs. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I think Japan would be really interesting if they figured out how to incorporate yeah. Daimyo somehow. Like I was trying to think... How would you do warring states? And it's like, what if every town center you fo you you founded was a different daimyo, and then you have to choose one of them to unite Japan at the end, and that becomes your main base. Oh my god! And you get whatever their <laughs> their special bonus for that town center. You get it for all of your town centers now. Something like that would be really interesting. That could be great. Um, um, yeah. Something I, I we could probably do with uh, Constantinople. Um, oh yeah yeah turkey or greece i like the whole uh yeah the you know the byzantines would be awesome i would love to see would the byzantines be a, a byzantine there. civilization would be perfect yeah um well um i think we've covered almost everything am i forgetting anything major there's like stealth there's a stealth mechanic now you can hide units in forests that's pretty cool Oh, and um, there's yeah. So those those are important things. There's stealth and there's elevation. Right, right. So yeah, that, that I don't know that those those seemed like a pretty big deal when I looked at them, but I never I I haven't found them playing as big a role as I would have expected. It definitely uh, like games. it. It depends on the map a lot. Like there's one map type where just it's all stealth forest in the middle. And I found okay. on that map, it really does like whoever has like scouts patrolling through the forest and like can sneak their army around the other person's army. Uh, a lot of times will will end up winning the match. But then if you if you catch that attack coming, you can even loop around and like flank them and push them up against their walls and destroy your push them up against your walls and destroy them. So it comes into it, it definitely comes into play on some maps more than others. You know, I will say this, too that um, we we kind of complained a little bit about the individual unit AI, but um, the I was I've been surprised, like pleasantly surprised by the like the overall strategic thinking of the game AI. Where it's yeah. just it's done stuff that like I've caught it doing things that I was not expecting. And that's really been kind of nice, like massing siege towers in the woods where I like in an area I never would have expected. And I yeah, think I but, only came across them because I was pursuing some units in forest someplace and just found like half a dozen siege towers back there. What? So, I mean, <laughs> it, it does things that like, uh, like, I, I guess I would have expected uh, a um, human player maybe to do, but as like, as a game AI, I, I certainly wasn't expecting some of the moves like early scouting. It's really good about that. It runs behind your yeah. base and oh, yeah. steal all your sheep in like the first couple minutes of the so so uh, I've, that's pretty nice yeah i found the ai is like very very aggressive early game they don't seem yeah. that great at transitioning into a late game strategy if that doesn't work though like if you rebuff their advances in the early game and the mid game they kind of 
And then like you can like fortify uh, like choke points with with fortresses and towers and stuff. They kind of run out of stuff to do. Like they'll try to send trebuchets. Yeah. And if you kill the trebuchets, they're like, guess I'll die. Well, we're out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, I've spent all of the gold on my side of the map building more trebuchets and your wall didn't fall down. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't trained for this. I don't know what to do. Uh, and they won't like. Yeah. You know what? Good job. You win. That's fine. Yeah, I, I would love to see like the okay. So if if the AI loses a certain number of trebuchets, um, make them just stop attacking and build a bunch of bombards and then attack with their entire population cap at once because that's what I would do in that situation. Uh, that does need to happen because yeah, like this is yeah. a game about countering the strategy that you scout, right? Like right. You want to build for what you see coming, and so yeah, the the AI does need to get better at like transition. Yeah. But but they are they are pretty smart. I'd say that for me, the normal AI is like kind of hard to lose against at this point. Hard AI is is right about where my skill level is. Uh, the hardest AI I have not yet been able to beat, um, I th except one time is the English because the English are just so forgiving. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, pretty good overall. Yeah, I, I got to say I was surprised. I just, while I was doing some, you know, review research, I, I fired up a skirmish and um, I sent it to the easy AI, I think, uh -huh. just because I figured I'll just bot stomp a little bit and it pushed back real hard. And I, so oh. I realized, okay, well, we're, we're in for, for something here. It was, it, at least I got a lot more resistance than I thought I would. And like you say, some of that early aggression came right out. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's not going to um you can't like slap it around quite as easy as i thought i was going to get yeah that was yeah, nice for sure well what are your final thoughts on uh, on age of empires 4 do you think this is something you'll stick with or is it going to be uh another another marker on the road behind you um you know this is going to be one that i yeah i think i'm probably going to dump another 20 hours into it i can I, mm -hmm. I can imagine easily, um, but I'll be super interested to see what um, like post-launch plans uh, develop, what, what expansions and, and things like that. Um, th those, I think whenever something new comes out for it, I'll want to get back in uh, for sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. This, I, I, I recommend it. I think if you, if you liked these in the past, this is a good place to jump back in. And I think if you've never played one, this is probably, I think Len, you mentioned this before. This is probably as a really good place, the best probably place to jump into the series. Like it's it's a really good entry point too. So yeah, well, yeah, and especially because you know the system requirements are so low that it like you don't even need, like if your computer can run Age of Empires two Definitive Edition, you can probably run this on on at least you know low settings. Yeah. like yeah, it's. It's pretty forgiving in that way. Um, I'm vibing with it quite a lot now that I've like finished the campaigns and I've kind of like gone through the paces now that I'm just like when I have free time in the evening, a lot of times I'll just be like, I just want to fire up some skirmishes or fire up a couple multiplayer matches against friends. Um, it's 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 that kind of a game. I could see this being something that I play on, you know, a couple matches a week of for like, you know, until I get tired of it. Um, I think yeah. that uh, it really shines in that regard. And there's still a lot I want to learn about, you know, 
build orders and doing good openings as the different factions. Um, still not quite vibing with like the French and the HRE, but most of the other ones I'm at least trying to become competent with. Uh, yeah. Just because I feel like they're they're just too similar to Age of Empires two factions that I don't you know I don't have a lot to sink my teeth into there. But uh, yeah, um, I I would uh, I'd say if you're in the mood for a classic RTS, you'll definitely find. A lot to enjoy here, um, but I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, this episode was produced by me. Three Moves Ahead, of course, is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can head over to idlethumbs.net slash 3MA to join the discussion on the forums. Uh, we are also supported, as always, by listeners just like you on patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can get access to our super secret Discord server and probably some pop-up multiplayer games of Age of Empires 4, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, we do organize that if you uh, if you select the backer tier for uh, play some games with us. And uh, what am I forgetting? Twitter. <laughs> the, the site I would <laughs> love to forget forever. Uh, Twitter.com. We are at 3MA is our tag on there. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy hashtag content. Uh, but until then, for Ian, this is Len saying goodnight. <laughs>